Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. It is great to be with you today, to know that I'm going to get to have some time with you. Looking forward to that. But especially good today to be able to be here and worship. And, uh, you know, I got to have the Lord's Supper with my friend twice. Now, that, I'm just going to tell you, Ed's been a friend for so long, and I've never got to have the Lord's Supper with you. And a lot of times when I go places, I don't get to have the Lord's Supper. And so this has just been a real, real treat for me, and I really appreciate it. Uh, because the Lord does something in the Lord's Supper that hasn't happened any other time. Because his kids get together and they, they remember how much he gave them. They pause and collectively they remember and recall his work in their life individually as well as collectively. And it, it's a powerful time to be able to come together. And so I want to remind you today as we are now looking out how to become or, or becoming a pipeline of light that God calls you to be that pipeline individually. He calls you to, to demonstrate his works individually. But friends, I will tell you, he's called you to come together collectively so that together you can grow together. And as Pastor Milt shared with us about becoming part of a group and test driving a group, I will tell you right now, if you've ever struggled in your Christian life and you're not part of a group, a being part of a group is a key step to your maturity. Come and do life with other people that will pray for you and walk with you and encourage you because God did not call us to walk by ourselves. He called us to walk together. So I want to... Look at the book of Philippians. It's exciting to be able to be at this juncture. I want to remind us of some things, though, and one of those is that we're reading a letter. Matter of fact, the book of Philippians is a short book. You can read this book in less than 14 minutes. And it's a letter, and it's meant to be read as a whole. Now, when we come into this context where we're looking at God's Word, it's not possible to do the whole book at the one time. I mean, we'll not do it well. And so we take a passage out and we look at it, but we read it and see it inside of the bigger context. You'll remember in chapter 1 that Paul has already expressed his confidence that what God has already been doing in your life, he's going to finish it. He's going to bring it to completion. And he also reminds them that I may be writing you from prison, but you need to know as hard as this moment may look to you, God is using it to reach people. Matter of fact, even people that are holding me in prison are hearing about Jesus. And Paul said, I'm not waiting until I get out to shout out the good news of Jesus. And he wanted them to understand that. His life focus was to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he calls all of us to that mindset. And then as we go into chapter 2, Brother Ed shared with you last week about how Jesus emptied himself. That he was willing to give up the glory of heaven, his glory, to walk among us as human. Fully human, fully divine. And he challenges us 
to live a life that's marked by humility. And the demonstration of that is found in the life of Christ because he emptied himself of his heavenly glory. He walked among us fully God, fully man, and he humbled himself to become the sacrifice on our behalf to pay a debt he didn't owe and a debt I couldn't pay. And not only did he sacrifice himself, the Bible says that he died on the cross, he was buried and raised victoriously on the third day and ascended to the Father so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, period. And just as Brother Ed shared with us last week, there will be a day where everyone will confess Jesus. There will be a day where no matter what they thought on earth, they will confess in heaven, Jesus is Lord. And that's the Jesus that we serve. And that brings us here to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And Paul goes forward and says, now remembering the example that Jesus has set for us, now let's practically apply how to now live with one another. He says in verse 12, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run this race in vain, but that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Let's pray. Father, it is, it is just so sobering to think about what you decided in eternity to do on our behalf through Jesus. That Jesus, that you willingly gave yourself on our behalf that you wanted to, that you chose to. And this day in which we remember what you did for us on the cross, and we are reminded of the new covenant that we are part of by your shed blood, we want to hear from your word what you are saying to us about how we're to live now in this world in a way that will show others what you have done in us is available to them. So help us, Lord to hear your word, and to listen to what you have to say to us today. In Jesus, your holy name, amen. Paul says, in light of the humility of Christ, in light of the example of Christ, there's something you really need to focus on. You need to work out what's working in you. 
In verse 12 and 13, he says, Dear friends, you will always follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And you know, sometimes verse 12 has at times been a bit of a stumbling point or a, a confusion point for some folks because some of your translations may say something like this, that you need to work out your own salvation or you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is a great example of a place where the New Living Translation gives a much more clearer understanding because it says we are called out to live our lives in such a manner that they demonstrate the impact of salvation. It's not that I somehow help God save me, but because God has saved me and filled me and empowered me, I am now called to live out the consequence of that salvation. It's like, because you're married, you act married. This is what it looks like. You work it out with fear and trembling, trusting in the Lord. It's not that we're acting on our own, but that the work of Christ in our lives empowers us to now live the life that God has called us to. Not in my strength, but in his strength, trusting in him. And it would be very helpful if we would remember that when Paul talks about salvation, most of the time through Scripture, when he talks about salvation, he's talking about a future event, not just the moment that I trusted in Christ. It's not just a past act of faith, but a future reality by which the blood of Jesus covers me and puts me in the right place before God. He says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight, what by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And sometimes in church, we use short hand phrases for a deep, complex theological reality. And we'll say something like this, have you ever been saved? Are you saved? And you know, if you don't know what I mean, that can be a little bit confusing. Ed, you'll remember John Wimber. John Wimber talked about as a little kid during World War II, he was riding his bicycle around, didn't know a stitch about church. He goes past a church that has one of those marquee signs. You know, sometimes church signs really should just be burned. And this one, you, I remember going past one sign that uh, not too far out that said, our church is like brownies. We're sweet, but we have our share of nuts. I thought, I don't know who made that up. I don't know if he's pastor today. But John Wimber said, I went by this sign, and all I saw on this sign was, Jesus saves. And his first thought was, huh. Well, at our house, we're saving tinfoil, and we're saving metal, and we're saving it because it's World War II. He didn't know what that meant. And sometimes when we look at people and say, are you saved? If they don't know what that means, they're like, from what? And so this is what I want you to think about with the word salvation. And I want you to think about an ark, if you will. And think about this. When you ask Jesus to come in your heart to become your Lord and Savior, and you accept 
his finished work into your life, the Bible calls that justification. You have now been justified, made right before God. And then from that point, you move forward in your walk with him, and that is sanctification. You are sanctified, present, but you are being sanctified future. So the idea is I was saved by him and made right before God. I'm now walking in sanctification, becoming like him by his power. And then even if I mess up, there's the promise of preservation that I will be kept right before God. And there will be a day in which I stand before the Lord. And when I have, if it was just on my merit, have earned the pathway of wrath God says, you get life. Because when he looks at me, he sees me covered in the blood of Jesus. Listen, that's not just figurative. As Ed read to us, Jesus walked into that heavenly temple with a basin bowl of his blood and poured that on that mercy seat. That covers me, and it can cover you. I want you to understand that when we talk about being saved, because, you know, I'll be frank with you. When I was smaller, I mean, you know, child, uh, I, I got a little confused at times because I thought, well, if I've accepted Jesus, why do I still struggle with sin? If Jesus is coming to my heart, why am I not just good, you know? And because I found out something, good was hard, bad was pretty simple. Anybody, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody here need help with bad? You, you know, you need a course on how to get bad, be bad, and stay bad. Man, that, that's kind of in the owner's manual, isn't it? Just, it's written in. But when you come to Christ... He engages you into sanctification of choosing, empowered by him, to do the works of God and to become the character of God demonstrated through your life. There's not a shortcut to maturity, but there is a promise that if you'll be faithful, he'll walk with you. It's because we have been brought into this relationship with God by trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we now live our lives in response to what Christ did for us and desires to now to do through us. So how can I live out my salvation as a Christ follower of impact today? Well, one, it's going to shape how we walk with each other. If I have been justified and now I'm being sanctified and I'm making those choices, it's going to be demonstrated in how I walk with each other. Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Don't, don't you find it interesting that the first place he lands when he's talking about what to do now that you are saved and you're going to act like Jesus, he starts with our mouth. Now think about that. He just says, let's start with something that we need to fix your mouth. And he says, I don't want you to do things with arguing plan. This isn't about somebody stands up in the middle of service, shakes their fist and says, no preacher, I disagree. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about murmuring, grumbling. The actual word is gungutsumai. It sounds like grumbling when you say it. 
It's, it's the same word that was used in Acts 6 when it talked about the grumbling and the murmuring that happened when the widows thought they weren't being treated equally. Man, don't do widows wrong, right? I mean, don't mess that up. But they begin to grumble a little bit, grumble a little bit. It's the same word in the Hebrew that is a reference to the children of Israel as they're going around, looking around, and they are going to the promised land, and they were upset because they said, we're hungry, where's dinner? And then there was manna. And they said, what's this? At Egypt, we had leeks and garlic. And you're giving us manna? By the way, where's the barbecue? I mean, they asked for meat, but in Texas, we'd say, where's the barbecue? And so God said, oh, I'll give you some. I will fill you up till it's coming out of your nose grumbling. It is the undercurrent that can eat away at joy. It eats away at morale. It eats away from us being faithful and trusting, and it undermines. Grumbling often is a question that comes with an edge, and it can cut us, and it can hurt us. God says, don't be a grumbler. Don't be a complainer. Don't argue. Don't be a fault finder. I read about one fault finder who said this, I'm not critical. I'm just cleanly observant of what's wrong with everyone else. <laughs> Is there anybody you know that's like that? It's their gift. Jesus says, one of the first places I want you to look at is your mouth. One of the first places I want you to look at is how you talk to one each other. I want you to move from being a fault finder to being a fruit bearer. Let the conversation that comes out of your mouth build each other up, not tear down. Because it defines how we shine in the world. Verse 15. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. This, this isn't about... Christians walk around saying, you know, I'm better than you. Did you know that? Christians don't walk around that way. If you're a Christ follower, you don't spend your life saying, thank God I'm not you. <laughs> now, some people don't say that, but do you pick up on that vibe on occasion? You know, I worked a lot in the UK, and they say something like this, ah, oh, bless your heart. Sometimes they look at you and go, oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart with a brick. But the reality is, is that he's not calling us to be snobby. He's calling us instead to have a heart of humility, to live our lives in such a way that when people see our heart, when they see what we say, when they see how we act, they say this, something's different about you. And they're attracted to that light. It's living out in such a way that what Jesus said in Matthew 15 becomes a reality in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says, when you do the works of God, God will shine his light through you. 
And we are called to be light bearers. We are called to bring God's light to this world. And I just want to ask you in your own life, just, just, just think about this. Where is God wanting you to bring his light to today? Is he wanting you to bring his light into your school? Is he wanting you to bring his light into your workplace? Is he wanting you to bring your, your light to your neighbor? Is he wanting to bring his light into your family? Where is God saying, you yield yourself to me. You commit your mouth to me. You commit your heart, your life, your works to me. And you bring my light into that moment. Because if you'll let my light shine, I'm going to draw these people to me. They're going to want to know about Jesus. Shine bright with the grace and the mercy of God. He says in verse 16, it anchors how we grow in faithfulness. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. And actually, verse 16 and 15 are really coupled together. He is saying it like this. If you will live your life in such a way that the works of God flow through you so the light of God can shine through you, you're going to find out that, that those words of life are going to be able to keep you and sustain you, and they're going to be brought to the people who need Jesus. Some of you might be thinking, I don't know how to witness to my neighbor. I don't know how to share at my office. Let me tell you how to start. Love them. Love them. Go the extra mile. Look for ways to be an encourager. Look for ways to be the person that is finding ways to help them do well. Because I will tell you that we live at a time where most people look toward themselves and not to the needs of others. And God says, I want you to live in a way where you are pure before me. Hold firm to the word of life. Hold on to the one who has a hold of you, sharing his hope with those who are lost. And when we do that, it frees us to live in love. Verse 17 and 18. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. And Paul pulls the language of Old Testament sacrifice and says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to serve in such a way that your life and my life is like a, a drink offering that is poured out on the sacrifice, that is poured out so that it can be fully yielded over to God to raise that sweet aroma before the Lord. And Paul would say to us, be mindful of this, that when you pour out your life that way, when you pour it out, you can't get it back in the cup. You don't give so you can get some back. You give because of what he's done for you. You give because of the mercy you've experienced. You give because of the joy you have in Christ because of his finished work. And we are called to pour out and pour out and pour out. And is there a time where pouring out stops? No. I was visiting with a 
older woman one time, and she said, you know, preacher, I've done my time. I said, what, what does that mean? Well, you know, I, I worked in the nursery when I was younger. I've worked for kids. I've done BBS. I've done this, done that. And she walked me through the testimony of her life. She said, I, I'm older now, and I just don't think that there's anything really left for me to do. And I said, well, I can think of two occasions where that took place in Scripture. One is Aaron went up the mountain, he died, and a new priest came down. The other is Moses went up the mountain, he died, and Joshua came down. And I looked at her and said, you ready to go up the mountain? <laughs> because here's the thing, there is no retirement plan with God on this earth. He has called you. To pour out and pour out and pour out. And you might be thinking, if I keep pouring out like that, what's left for me? Here's what you need to know. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. Meet with a little widow that will tell you, you can't outpour God. Just keep pouring out. Because I'll tell you what God's not called you to do. He's not called you to hold on to your cup and say, oh, I got to keep this one full. So I'll be ready when my opportunity comes. I will tell you, most people live their life marked by evaporation more than consecration. And God hasn't called you to hold in, in your cup, to pour out your life so that people's lives can be transformed because they see the light of God through your life. So I want to ask you today, have you made that decision to be made right before God? I would ask you, where's God asking you to bring light to in your life? And where is God asking you to pour out your life so that he can see his works poured out of you? Let's pray. Father, here we are. You've spoken to our hearts. Now may we say yes. And may you show us with clarity our next step. Lord Jesus, let us live with a clear light, with hearts always ready to pour out upon others the blessings you have poured into us. For we pray in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.